0: Welcome all. Welcome back to the Soda Pop Podcast. I am your host, Tyler. Today we're on season three, episode 23, and we have an amazing guest with us today. We have the wonderful, awesome Mr. Dr. Price. Everyone give a warm soda pop welcome to Dr. Price. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So Dr. Price, could you please introduce yourself and just uh, thank you for being here. But um, could you introduce yourself and just let us know like what's going on with Dr. Price?
1: Well, what's going on with Dr. Price? Uh, Well, um, so I am uh, Dr. Matthew Price and um, I am director of premier national international awards here at UNA. Uh, I basically, my job is to help students uh, apply for opportunities and usually money or funding. That exists outside the institution. Um, so, usually these are government or U.S. government sourced uh, scholarships or fellowships, and they have pretty difficult and challenging application application processes. And so, what I do is I just I simply help students navigate those processes, so that when they turn in a fellowship or scholarship application, they're turning in what they feel like is their best their best chance, their best foot forward. Um, an application packet that represents them and their potential. So I do that. Um, I've been doing that since 2016. Uh, and um, I teach in the English department. I usually teach uh, a survey of American literature, either English 221 or 222. And other than that, uh, I'm getting ready for spring break, like every single person on this campus. Yes, we have made it to spring break. Um, It is amazing what a year can be, you know, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. And when we get back to to, uh, school, it's going to be Fulbright recruiting season. And I'm looking forward to talking to to a bunch of people. And uh, we've got a webinar on April 28th at three o'clock. And that's a big time for us to to see who who the students are out there or that want to go for this award. In the next uh, in the next cycle, so I'm pretty excited. Uh, got vaccinated, so I mean, this is looking good. I mean, I, I'm doing pretty okay right now. So all things considered,
0: yeah, things are looking up. That's always right. <laughs> um, I noticed. You know, you mentioned that you were. You know, obviously, your professor, your doctor. Um, You know, you're also a mentor and you're the director of the Premier National and International Awards. What's it like being all of these different things uh, at the same time?
1: I mean, mean, honestly, it's the best job in the world. I mean, there is nothing better than what I do. I, I, I get sometimes I get to. Well, some days I get to talk about American literature. So I get to sit down with people and help them look at. Uh, some of the most fascinating stories of you know our history, and and look at some of the most famous writers, and and introduce them to interesting concepts, and then as a and then the next thing I get to do is is work on them on application pro- processes where they're telling me how they want to change the world, um, or telling me how how they want to change the states, or how they want to change Florence. Um, And I get to talk to them and meet them and and learn from them. And it's just when I envision in grad school as a starving, struggling grad student as everybody else. I mean, I never thought I'd I'd feel this good about my position, which is just I'm doing exactly what I should be doing. I'm doing exactly what I love doing. And it's amazing. And um, I just can't say enough about it. It's a great it's a great feeling doing what I do.
0: Yeah, that's always good. I'm glad that I'm glad you feel this way about sure. what you're doing. I wish everybody felt that way about what I think <laughs> <laughs> the world would be a better place if they did.
1: Sure, sure.
0: So um I know you mentioned that it's gonna be after after spring break, it's gonna be Fulbright recruiting season. So can you explain to us what exactly the Fulbright Scholarship is and um You know, UNA has become a leader in the awards. We've recruited a lot, a lot of excellent students. So, like, what exactly is it and how have we gotten to this point where we're considered a leader in this? uh,
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, So the Fulbright program, it's a fairly old program, and it it comes um, out of, um, it, it has an interesting story. It comes out of, you know, foreign policy. Actually, it, it is a it is a way in which the United States forms partnerships with all, all the countries all across the world, yeah. and it's conceived as taking essentially the rep, uh, the best representation of the United States' student body or faculty body because there's a faculty program too, and you put them out in the world, and you put them in schools, you put them in universities, you put them in in nonprofits and different kind of organizations. And they bring their uniqueness, they bring their potential, and, and, and they bring the best of American culture with them. So bare bones description of what the Fulbright is, is it's one year fully funded in a country of your choosing. The funding comes from the U.S. State Department. And you can do three things on a Fulbright that you have to, you have to choose. And that's one of the difficult first steps is choosing what you want to do. You can pursue a graduate program, uh, provided that the country offers it. Um, you can, uh, do a research project, which is just you pursuing a research project on, on your own for the year, or you can do the English teaching assistant program, which is teaching, uh, assisting teaching, um, students who are trying to learn English. It's about 20 to 30 hours a week. It's, it's kind of a part-time job. And then the rest of the time, um, the, uh, Fulbright wants you to get involved with your community and try to make a difference there while you're abroad as well. So of those three things, um, that's what you have to choose from. But the other big job that everybody has, regardless of what, which way they go in the Fulbright program is they're all supposed to be ambassadors and they're all supposed to be a representation of America while they're abroad. And, and so the Fulbright program looks for interesting people. It just looks for people that see the world in interesting ways. And it looks for people who are really committed to, to having a place in the world and, and trying to make a difference. Um, and I think one of the reasons why we've had eight recipients in two years is that our students are unique. Our students are special. And what, what is really rewarding for me as being, you know, a, co- a country kid from North Carolina is that all small town rural kids don't think they're special. Right? Nobody thinks they're they're special. Special people are in you know Harvard and Yale, and that's not true. It's it's um, the ways in which we're, we're raised and the, the the challenges that we face, uh, especially in rural education and things like that. If you're if you're from um, you know economically uh, stressed places. Um, doing all of that stuff that you need to do to be successful, then going to college and being successful, that's an amazing story. And Fulbright wants to hear it. And too often, students like us don't tell it. And I think that's part of what I, that, you know, drives me in this position is just to help students talk about how special they are, how special where they come from is. And I think what we're seeing is that Fulbright's really interested in that story. So we just need to keep telling them that. We need to keep introducing more and more unique students to them. And I think they're interested. And, um, and so that's been what's been really rewarding is a lot of students come to me, and don't think they fit and think it's a long shot who end up winning and the whole time during the application process. I'm like, they're going to win. They're too good. I mean, they're awesome. They're amazing. They're going to win this. And they just go like, no, of course, I won't. I can't possibly, they can't possibly choose me. Like, They're going to choose you. And that's the thing. It's, it's like the reason we, we have had really good success in the last two years is, is because we're, the, our students are telling that story and telling it in interesting ways. And Fulbright is just responding incredibly well to it. And so I'm just really enormously proud of the, all the people that have applied for a Fulbright since I've done this. Um, it's a it's a wonderful thing.
0: Yes, definitely. I agree. Um, so there as like you said, you know you've been doing this you've known this pretty much since 2017 and um, so our first ever student to win is Molly Schaefer. Uh, She's a soda graduate. So how is the Fulbright scholarship especially suited suited to student students of the art?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's, it's, when Molly won, it wasn't surprising that Molly won to me. Um, and it, it's not surprising that an art student from here won. And the reason for that is, <laughs> and you'll know this, and everybody from Soda knows this, is that, and it's almost kind of cliche to say, but the, one of the reasons that art students are attracted to Fulbright, they're creative. I mean, they're literally what drives them every day is to be creative. Uh, in their art, in their music, anything. It, it drives them to look at the world and interact with the world in creative ways. And so Molly's application was incredibly, um, incredibly poignant. It was a creative way of talking about how um, her own struggles with learning English due to a learning disability um, and how she took that story and weaved it into how she can help students understand the English language because it took her so long to learn as well. That's a fascinating story, and Molly told it so well, but the reason she told it is because she kind of looks at the world a little differently. She's an art student. She's an art kid, and that just kind of shines through. The other thing about art students is they take chances. I mean, that's the big thing about art is that you're trying to push yourself to be more creative, you're trying to push yourself to, to make a difference and, and, and to stand out. And that drive to constantly challenge yourself. I mean, Fulbright is a year of challenges, not only on top of your, your, what you're going to do, your grad program, your research, or your English teaching, but you're going to have to live in a new, another country that most people have never lived in before, in a country with a language that they don't speak. And they're going to have to be creative, and, and they're going to have to push themselves um, to, to not retreat into their apartment and flat and to get out in the world and do things. And art students do that. I mean, that's kind of what, it's kind of their lifeblood. It kind of beats in their heart is that uh, that need to be creative and that need to challenge themselves. And so, yeah, I I art students are good for all of it. I mean, and, and, um, and again, it's, it's, it's one of those things that are special about us, right, is, is, um, our art students are just really unique. I mean, I just, I just, I, I get, I know I keep repeating myself, but, um, yeah, that's one of the reasons why art students are so good for Fulbright, it's just a drive to challenge themselves creatively, right?
0: Yeah, I definitely agree, and, uh, it, I think that's a very valid and poignant point to say that uh, art students are very unique and, and are willing to take the, those risks and things like that. You know, it is in, in the lifeblood of an art student, I think. Um, yeah. It does drive us a lot. Sure. Um, so, okay, that's that's great. What if the student doesn't have a 4.0 GPA? Sure.
1: That, that, that comes up uh, pretty often in, in the beginning talks with students it's like what about my gpa i'm not a 4.0 i'm not a straight a student fulbright doesn't really care and the reason is yes you need to be successful right i mean it 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 is difficult to get a fulbright if your gpa is really low um i'll just concede that but they're not looking for 4.0 students if they're, again, they're looking for unique students. They're looking for interesting students. And sometimes you have a 4.0 student who has just been successful their entire life, right? Everything they've done, they've just kind of, uh, they've kind of moved through and they've been really successful at it. And then you've got the 3.2 student. Maybe you got a couple of C's on the transcript. But the reason they had a couple of C's on the transcript is because not only were they, um, doing schoolwork full time, they were working full time. They were also trying to help their parents pay the bills, right? They were they were working help, uh, you know, working to help uh, uh, teach uh, literacy at the local church and doing after school programs. And they had time, and that's when they learned time management. Is when she, they were trying to manage all that, and that's reflected in the transcripts. Colby's going to look at that and go, "That's a really good story. That's a really interesting person. I want that person, right?" And so, unless you, the only time the GPA ever really matters um, is when you're applying for, if you're an if you're applying for an engineer master's degree at the uh, in the UK, um, you better have good grades in engineering. Right, you better, you, that better come across. Um, but other than that, an overall GPA just, I just don't really spend a lot of time with it. Um, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I don't know the GPAs of my applicants until the very end, because I, I get it. We have to start talking about their story and what they want to do and how how they're gonna present that, that I never really think about it. Um, and a student shouldn't think that Fulbright is interested uh, just in Harvard and Yale students and those kind of people. I mean, no, they want they want as diverse a group of people as possible from all sections of the United States, and um, that's what they're focused on more than somebody's GPA.
0: Okay, that's great. Okay, so walk us through the deadlines and like the typical application process. <sighs>
1: yeah. Fulbright is a lengthy process, and that is one of the, I think, the most difficult things of Fulbright is that Fulbright's a lengthy process. And so I usually get started working with applicants in June, maybe the end of May if they know exactly where they're going and exactly what they want to do. But by June, we start working on their application materials. And what we're doing is meeting a deadline in October. It's usually the first full week of October on a Tuesday. It's always a Tuesday. And we're using almost the entire summer to construct their packet. Their packet consists of a one-page, single-spaced personal statement, which is kind of who they are and why Fulbright should be interested in them. The Second one is what's called a statement of grant purpose, and that is what you're applying to do on your Fulbright. So the, the English teaching assistants have one-page single space, to talk about how they're prepared to teach English and how they're gonna be a cultural ambassador in the uh, classroom. Those that are on research projects are graduate uh, school applications They have two pages single space that they need to sketch out a research agenda on top of how they're going to be an ambassador while they're at the school or in the in the country. Uh, So for those students who 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 are doing the research projects and the master's degrees, we got to fill up those two pages. That takes a while to think through the project and think through what you want to do and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So basically, we work over the entire summer. And the beginning of September, we kind of stop, And I put together a kind of Fulbright evaluation committee. All Fulbrighters have to be evaluated by a campus committee. And um, I put together myself and usually two or three other faculty members. And we meet with the candidate um, for about 20 to 30 minutes. And we just kind of talk them through where the application stands at this point, what we think they need to do, they got one more month left, where do you think, where do we think they need to put the most energy and the most time, Uh, and so they do that, we, we get done with that, and it was always a great process, and I, you know, the faculty members that work with me are just the best, I mean, they really, uh, I got a, I got a good support system in the faculty for this, and um, uh, they're some of the biggest cheerleaders for the program, Uh, and so after we get done with the interviews, they got one month and they, they're they basically rushing, 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 get the deadline, and then they submit. They submit in October, and they hear nothing until the end of January. And that's when Fulbright is going to tell them that they're either out of the contention, out of the competition, or they're a semifinalist. What a semifinalist means is that the review committee in the States made up of U.S. faculty has read their application, thinks it has merit, and, is, and wants the host country, the country to which the student applied to. It's time for them to see the application and make the final call. So, if you're a semifinalist, you have to wait longer until about now, March and April, and then you're finally told if you get it. And then, if you get it, you're you go the next academic year. You go basically in the fall, you start in that fall. So some students with me are working on a Fulbright almost for a year. I mean, I've, I've got one student, he's an art student, by the way, I have one student, um, he's already working. He, and and so by the time he submits and hears back, it'll almost be a full year since he started the, the, the process. Um, so it's lengthy and there's a lot of waiting and a lot of, you don't hear and, Basically, what I tell students is, is that live your life, apply to your grad programs, apply to your jobs, you know, always keep your options open. But if Fulbright gives it to you, you got to sit down and you got to make the call about whether or not you need you want to take this or you want to continue on where you are. And um, so, yeah, that's basically the timeline is it starts in June and we don't end until October. And then we just wait until January. And then if we're lucky, we wait till March and April.
0: Sounds like kind of a excruciating. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <It sounds> really-
1: <laughs> well, I, I can tell you how excruciating it is. And I, I can t- tell this, uh, you know, not giving away secrets or anything, but, um, so everybody applies like online, like everybody, everything these days, right? And so I ha- for Fulbright, Fulbright gives me an application portal where I can see everybody's application. So the day that they release the semifinalists list where they're gonna these are the people that move on. They do it all throughout the day on like the last um, on the next to last day of January. And so the entire day of January, I'm glued to the portal, hitting refresh every 10 seconds, waiting to see if our students have gotten through the process. It is a terrible day, it is a, de- it is a terrible day. Um, and now I basically, are, I'm hitting refresh once a day to see if the semi finalists are winning. Um, because usually it works on Eastern time, so if I get to four o'clock here, nobody's going to hear anything after after four o'clock here because it's five o'clock in New York. Um, but yeah, it is. There there are times where the wait gets really intense, and it's that January day that just kills me. I am when I go home, I'm so tired and and, and worn out, and also excited because like this year we had nine students elect uh, nine students applied and seven were semifinalists. So I was, I was happy as can be, um, but I was tired. That day was long. It was a long day.
0: Oh, <laughs> man. Oh, man. Okay. So what advice would you give to students who are thinking about applying?
1: Apply. is no, My first piece of advice is apply. And the reason I tell people to apply is that the process itself really pushes you to try to, you know, write to the world who you are, what you care about, and what do you want to do with that thing that you care about, and it, it, you don't, we don't really get practice of that that much, and that way of just kind of talking about us to a group of people that will never meet us, and, and they're asking, well, tell us everything you can possibly tell us that's interesting, but do it in one page single space, you know, And you really got to sit down and you got to think, geez, who, who am I? Who, who, what, why do I care about teaching English in Malaysia? Right. Why does that speak to me? And so it just, it's about, it's this interesting kind of time where you're kind of discovering who you are and and why, why you started playing the clarinet at age three. Well, we did it for this reason. Right. Um, And I don't, I think, I think if you ask anybody that applied or anybody that applies for a Fulbright who never get, who doesn't get it, they'll always say they they're glad they they applied because the process gets to be pretty rewarding is, is that is sitting down and just writing down who you are. And then you look at what you wrote and you're pretty happy with it. You're like, yeah, that's me. I feel good about that. Okay. Um, and um yeah, I think that that's my piece of advice is take take the challenge, take the step, see what happens. I mean, the worst thing that that can happen is somebody says no. The best thing that can happen is somebody says yes. But I, I think still the best thing to have the best thing at all happening in the application process is when you hit submit on that applica- on that submit day. Feel good about it. Feel good about who you look. You know, you, you, that was. I did my best right there. That's my best shot. Let's see what happens. Um, and um, yeah, so that, that's my advice for people to um, to apply. The other piece of advice don't worry about your GPA. Come talk to me. Talk to me first before you think you don't fit. And let me talk to you through the program. Fulbright's a big program, it's a huge program. There's like 150 countries, and each country has different types of awards, and they can. Be so all over the place, uh, <clears throat> and so before you think that the Fulbright program doesn't fit me or fit my interests, come talk to me first because I bet you I can find something within the program that you like um, that that speaks to you. Um, so yeah, don't self-select, don't don't select yourself out. Come and have a conversation first, and the other thing is try, try it and see what happens, right? The, the best thing that's going to happen is your life's going to change. Okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, I never really thought about how important and how awesome of a self-reflection tool that can be, you know, for a student or anybody to, you know, like you said, like to sit down and say, who am I and what do I care about? You know, so I think that's quite amazing.
1: <laughs> well, all the all the applicants dread the personal statement. All of them do. And I, and they, and they, and they laugh and they, they were like, well, I'm going to start my grant purpose. And I'm like, that's okay. Cause it's like the personal statement kind of, you know, freaks them out for a minute. Like I got to tell them who I am. Right. You know, and so that's the, always the statement that's always written second. Right. They need to get some confidence and they need to take a beat to really think how they're going to approach it. And, and then eventually they, they, they start. But the personal statement tough on people because, again, who am I? You know, at 20, at 20, 20, 21 years old, I don't know if I could have answered that. <laughs> I got all these students who are answering it, and I'm like, you guys are farther along than I ever was, right?
0: Oh yeah, that's a really important question to ask yourself at any age. Sure. So what are the current plans and the status of the scholarship? I know you said we're about to be in recruiting season. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, What are the current plans? And also, how has COVID affected uh, this and other study abroad scholarships?
1: Yeah. Well, how COVID has affected Fulbright. Um, So COVID happened last year in 2020. Right. And so we had four students who were, uh, you know, in Asia and Europe when COVID really hit. Um, And this is like March and April when it really got uh, when we all knew we were in the midst of a pandemic at that point. So those UNA students had to get out of the country because the country didn't deem it safe. That it was spreading, and you have to remember that Fulbrighters are funded by the U.S. State Department, and they're um, they're um, tied to U.S. State Department travel rules, right? So, I think it was was it late March or early April uh, the State Department closed all travel, and they started bringing people home who were put in different countries, um, and so Fulbrighters started having to return, and he, you can imagine the stories that they have about trying to get home. Um, I think uh, one of them had to get on a, one of the last flights at midnight out of uh, Malaysia, and, and I think one was in a marathon flight for almost 24 hours trying to get home, and this was in the midst of the pandemic when you weren't supposed to be traveling, right? They were all coming home, Luckily, all of them are fine, and, and they got through it. Uh, the funny thing is, is that one of the Fulbrighters got through traveling uh, all the way from Asia, all the way back to Alabama, only to get COVID when they got back to Alabama after a week of being home. Uh, so you're just like, Ugh. <laughs> right? Um, so, so what Fulbright did is it suspended the program in, in last year during that that 2020 period. But what they were doing was also making decisions about the, these group of people that were going to leave in the fall of 2020 as well. Mm-hmm. And so we had four more students who were on the dock to leave who had just been awarded. Mm-hmm. And they've all had to pause their awards. Only one of them was allowed to leave. He he went to Korea, which has handled the coronavirus very well for, for our country. So he's there now, but he couldn't leave until January. And the other three can't leave until um, the fall. So they've almost had to wait a whole extra year to go on their Fulbright. And that that means also right now, <laughs> we have students who are semi-finalists now. So what's gonna happen to those students? We don't quite know, because um, it depends on what those countries decided to do about those applicants that are still waiting to go. Um, and so right now, like everything else, COVID has touched, it's kind of a mess and we're just kind of working through it. It's, it's a learning experience. Um, but for fall of 2021, if we're all getting vaccinated and, and cases are declining uh, worldwide, uh, then it's just going to be a regular year no, no no, kind of obstacles in our way. Um, but this, this previous cycle uh, in October of uh, 2020, uh, yeah, a lot of those students were applying not knowing if they were going to go or not, because it was still, we were still in the thick of it by October. Um, and of course, in, by December, it got really bad. Um, so that's how it kind of impacted COVID. Study abroad scholarships, It's also have been tough um, because a lot of of universities just aren't sending people abroad. Um, And it's just kind of, you know, it's tried It's you know, the the funding organization, which is IIE, which funds um, Fulbright, um, they're doing the best they can to keep everything running, to keep scholarships getting out to students that need it and stuff like that. But it's been a year of, it's been a difficult year if your passion is to go abroad. Um, So what I'm doing right now is, uh, or what, what my plans are is to, like I said, number one, I'm going to sleep all next week. I, I, I'm not, uh, I'm literally going to sleep all week long. Um, And then we come back, we just start recruiting and start, um, I think you'll start seeing more study abroad. Those These things open up a little bit more as the world situation gets a little bit better. And, uh, you know, just keep on keeping on like we, you know, like we do. And uh, keep meeting students and keep hearing their stories and keep trying to connect them to opportunities. Uh, kind of the best thing to do. Uh, but it has been an interesting year, as everybody says. It's it's amazing what we've all done. Um, to kind of try to be normal in an un- in a kind of a, a time that's anything but normal, right? Um, yeah, it's just this amazing resiliency that everybody's demonstrated during this period of time, and um, yeah, so we're just gonna keep on and to see what fall of 2021 brings us. It's gonna bring us happier times. I, I, I yes, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm hopeful for that. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. You and me both. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I wish nothing but happiness and, and, uh, and, and strong. And like you said, resiliency, you know, we've, we've demonstrated that so far, um, things are looking up, you know, at the moment hope, because I know a lot of people, you know, have been really wanting to travel abroad and, and, you know, a lot of people, they wanted to have a full college experience, but they haven't yeah. with, because of COVID. So, um, hopefully all this can be uh, alleviated, you know, like it, it can be, um, it can be, it's being dealt with in a very positive way, which I think, you know, people are getting vaccinated and, and things are looking up, but um, yes, sir, I do agree with you that people, you know, who our listeners and uh, students just apply and don't worry about, uh, don't worry about your GPA. Dr. Price, where can students, and people reach you if they want to talk to you about these things?
1: Sure. So um, if they want to reach me, the best thing to do is, of course, email. Um, but I'm located in the in Collier Library. I'm on the second floor. And all you have to do is look for a strange, skinny door that's right next to the stairwell. That is my, that is my office it's a lot like the Willy Wonka movie where he has a tiny door and he opens it and it's like a world full of magic. So that, that's what it's the Willy Wonka door to me. So uh, you come in here and there's a world of magical opportunities that await. Uh, but yeah, you can, you can get me on uh, email and you can drop by my office if you find yourself in the library. Um, but yeah, come and see me come and talk to me. Um, Tyler, you come and see me about applying for a Fulbright. You should do it too. Yes, right. I I'm always recruiting. That's the thing. anybody, anybody I talk to, you, you need to do it too. Um, so yeah.
0: Okay, gotcha. Um, also, as a uh, aside, a quick question I wanted to ask: you have Galactus in your yes. own background. Well, is that C3PO on the other side?
1: Yes. Uh, and, in terms of. Uh, of my office, it sort of represents how nerdy I actually am. Um, and I am an incredible comic book and Star Wars nerd. Um, so you can come into my office and just look at those things. Okay. Um, uh, so I have over here, I have uh, Jabba the Hut from the Return of the Jedi, which I always wanted when I was a kid. And, because I'm so old. It, it was when it was a new toy. Uh, my parents did not buy it for me because it was too expensive. And about three years ago, I was in an antique store. And there was a junk box on the floor. I looked in the junk box. and There was this toy I'd wanted since I was five years old. It was sitting right there. And the guy asked for $3 for it. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to give you $3. 38 year old man walked out of that thing with a Jedi toy. Yeah. Um, the best best day of my life, right there, uh, next to the yeah, my children got born. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> uh, but I got this really cool toy, right? Um, but yeah, yes, huge nerd, huge
0: nerd. Oh, that's amazing! Oh, uh, yeah, like the birth birth of your children. That's that's okay, but like this was like
1: this is a big deal. I found uh, Galactus was found uh, in Huntsville. And he, he was in a, uh, where was it? It was in um, kind of a, like a Salvation Army store next to a bowling alley. And I was just having to walk in there. And again, he was just kind of thrown into the corner. I'm like, that's a talking Galactus right there. I'm going to get that. And again, it was like $5. And I'm like, you know, yeah, I'm getting that. Sure. Of course. So,
0: yeah, everybody listening, like, you know, don't be afraid to like thrift and go into these places because you can find some hidden gems like everywhere. Yes,
1: you can find you can find some great. I found some great stuff over the years in the, in the junk places. Yeah, yeah. I uh,
0: I also had a, I, that reminded me. I'm glad that you said that because I I think every every because uh, I'm also a fellow nerd. Um, <laughs> I think every nerd has that moment where they go into a store and they. Or, or some kind of place and, and it's like something of amazing value is like in the corner or like in a box somewhere and you find it and it's like you know like like it's gold you know and right well a- I,
1: <laughs> I can tell you one story uh I, I know we gotta go here in a minute um but when i was in graduate school of course uh, get my phd at florida state um, of course we had me and Cheryl, Cheryl's my wife. She's in the English department. She's a professor, Cheryl Price. And we had, of course, no money because, you know, you're struggling as a graduate student. And so we went to this junk store that was, you know, by the railroad road tracks in Tallahassee. And we went in there and again, it was on the floor in a box was an original Indiana Jones, uh, Toy. Now, if you remember the movie Indiana Jones, it's where he puts the staff in and the sun shows him exactly where the Ark of the Covenant is, right? So it was that toy. It was in its box still. It was still sealed. God wanted $5 for it. So Cheryl and I were like, scrounging money, and we give $5 for it. We go home and we sell it on eBay for $90. <laughs> and that thing bought us some good dinner for at least two to three weeks.
0: See?
1: And then we yeah. always look at each other and like, remember that time we struck it <laughs> rich during graduate school? And I think that's the one story we always remember every time we go into a junk store. Like this is the time where we're going to find another thing,
0: right? That's amazing. Oh it was God. a really good day. <laughs> I hope I can find somebody like that. That's <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Dr. Price. I've had a time no problem. talking to you, and um, and I, you've given so much valuable information, and, and thank you for uh, giving that information. We really appreciate it, and um, I'm sure that everybody listening now they're gonna they're gonna they need to run to your office and they guys apply seriously because, like you said, you could you could be the person to change the world. You know, yeah. Um, there can never be uh, and and in like we said, it's a good self-discovery tool. So even if you don't, yes, absolutely. just, just apply. Yeah. Um, also follow us on social media, you know, on Instagram, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, Dr. Price, do you have any uh, social media you'd like to plug before we go?
1: I mean, just always uh, follow College of Arts and Sciences.
0: That's it. That's who I work for right now.
1: Um, so be sure to follow them on Instagram, Facebook, and, and, and Twitter. And other than that, it's not much. Also, I, uh, I will plug Fulbright, Fulbright's Twitter, following Fulbright on social media and Twitter. You'll learn a lot about all the different people and what they, they, they do. They're, they spotlight a lot of their awardees all the time. And so you kind of hear interesting stories about what someone's doing on a Fulbright.
0: Mm. Awesome. Well, guys, this has been another episode of the Soda Pop podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for watching. Um, Hit us up on social media and um, we will see you next week. And please be safe and enjoy your weekend. Thank you, Dr. Price, again, for being with us. No problem. All right. See you guys later. Bye. Hey, guys, make sure to check out all of our social medias. Feel free to send us your feedback at arts at una.edu or through the DMs of any of our social media. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you in the future. This podcast has been brought to you by UNA School of the Arts. Executive producer is Mark Gallegos, co-produced by Selena Fugate and Tyler Hankins. Special thanks to Dr. Terrence Brown and the entire Soda staff.